Heavenly Father, we recognize that we can gain understanding from your word. And so therefore, we ask that you would help us to hate every wrong path as we look at your word. Oh Lord, we pray that your word would indeed help us to understand who you are and who we are and how to live according to your ways. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, this morning we again pick up our, the narrative here in 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is a part of God's scripture that comes at the time when Israel is going through great change and particularly changing from being led by judges and prophets to particularly having a king reigning over them. The people of Israel have uh, got to this period by coming out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Moses uh, rescued them uh, by the hand of God from their slavery in Egypt. He brought them into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua after Moses had been with them for the wanderings in the wilderness. And then they come into the land and they have a series of judges who look after them. And then they come to this point where they want to have a king who reigns over them. And so they've asked the Lord for a king and God has said, I will give you a king. And so we've been looking at who is this king that is being raised up by God. And so last time we met together uh, when I was preaching was the time that we saw that Saul was sent after some donkeys, but in reality, he was sent by the Lord to meet Samuel. And now we see that Samuel makes Saul king, the first king over Israel. But how do we know Saul is indeed king? What are the signs that show that Saul is the king of Israel? Well, the first thing that we see in this passage together is that there's a ceremony. The first thing we see is a ceremony. God gives a ceremony to make Saul king over Israel. And we expect this. Whenever a king is established, we expect some sort of ceremony would take place. I haven't had the privilege of seeing a new king or queen of England come to the throne in my lifetime. But this week I did watch part of a three-hour BBC recording of Queen Elizabeth II's ceremony when she was at the coronation ceremony. It's up there on YouTube. I didn't watch all of it, but I watched part of it in a black and white recording that the BBC did at the time with a bit of a commentary as to what's going on. And so we expect that there's some sort of ceremony when someone is made king or queen that there would be some sort of ceremony. What did the ceremony for Saul involve? Well, we see that an important dignitary was present. Who is that? Well, it's Samuel. We see that in verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? Whenever there's the crowning of someone, whenever they're established as a king or queen, there's some important dignitary that is present. And we see that with Saul, that Samuel, this person who we've been introduced to from chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, and who's been grooming, we've seen the Lord grooming him, looking after him, and establishing his standing, his office as a prophet, he's now the one that crowns Saul king over Israel. And we see in this ceremony, not that there's a crown there, but we see that there's a particular thing that happens, and that is an anointing that happens with oil. And you see that in verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head. And so we see that this person is anointed with oil, which is a way that was used, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, to establish that someone was dedicated for a particular office, that oil was placed on the head. We see it happen with priests, we see it happen with prophets, and we also see it happen with kings. And so there's this little ceremony that takes place with oil being put on his head, and then a kiss of favour is extended to him from this dignitary, this important person, Samuel. In verse 1 we see, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, 
and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. There's a kiss of favour that is shown to him. And so we see this little ceremony that takes place. It looks like it would be a lot shorter than the ceremony that I saw a bit of on YouTube of Queen Elizabeth II and her coronation ceremony. There's at least less dignitaries at uh, Saul's uh, inauguration as king here. But uh, nonetheless, there's, an, there's a ceremony that takes place to establish that Saul is king of Israel. But are there any other signs that show us that Saul is now the king of Israel? And that's where we see, yes, that the Spirit comes upon Saul, giving him power to rule and even to prophesy. How do we know Saul is king of Israel? Well, the Spirit comes upon him. And we see that in verses 6, 7, and also verse 9. Verse 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, that's with prophets, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. The Spirit will come upon you and you'll be able to do whatever your hand finds to do because the Spirit will be upon you. And then we see that this, these words of Samuel come true. Look with me at verse 9, page 271. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. Whenever a monarch is established on the throne, they're invested with great power to be able to do the tasks that are assigned to them, particularly power over the parliament, power over the military, and even power over people. They have this respect from the people, generally speaking. And I know that there would be an effect if the Queen of Elizabeth II walked in the room right now, it would change the dynamic of the room immediately. There'd be this power that she has, that she influences over people just by entering into the room. And we see that Saul's kingship is established by the fact that the Spirit of God comes upon him and gives him power to accomplish whatever his hand would find to do. And then there's a third sign. We've seen that there's a ceremony. We've seen that he's granted power from the Lord. And there's a third sign by which we see he is to be king, and that is that he is supposed to follow God's instructions. And we see that in verse 8. After being told in verse 7 that he's to do whatever he finds his hand to do, we see in verse 8 that he's given a specific instruction at a minimum, from Samuel. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. And that will be the time we see in 1 Samuel 15, the time of Saul's downfall, is that he doesn't follow the instruction here. And this is a real struggle for kings, generally speaking. It's always a struggle to know where they stand in relation to the law. Is the king over the law? So his word is law, or is the king under the law? And he also is subject to the laws of the land. And it's interesting, when our queen, Elizabeth II, was established, she took oaths to uphold the laws of the land. It's not a case of whatever she says goes. No, she is one who is under the law, and so is Saul. One of the signs that he is king is that he, too, is subject to the law. And Deuteronomy 17 even speaks specifically, the law of Moses speaks about how the king is to write out a copy of the law and he's meant to uphold the law. He's meant to be subject to the law as well. 
Now, why are these signs of kingship helpful for us today? To look at Saul and see that he is established truly as king over Israel by the fact that he has this ceremony, by the fact that he has the Spirit's power, and by the fact that he is under the law of God. Well, I think it's helpful for us to recognise the true king of Israel who still remains, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that the Lord Jesus is the king of God's people, that he is the rightful king of God's people. Well, I think the establishment of the first king of Israel helps us to recognise that Jesus is the king. Was there a ceremony for the Lord Jesus to establish him as king? Was he established as king by different ceremonies? Well, yes, there's a number of occasions where you see quite clearly that God has appointed him to be his king. There's a number of them. If you look at his transfiguration on the mount, you look at his resurrection from the dead, his, even his suffering, his, his glorification on the cross, uh, his ascension into heaven, his session sitting at the right hand of God, and of course one day he will return to judge the world. But I just want to look at one occasion where we see very clearly that parallels very nicely with King Saul, and that is his baptism, the Lord Jesus' baptism. We see similarities there in many ways. What happened at Jesus' baptism? Who was at Jesus' baptism? Well, there was an important dignitary. Just as we see Samuel the prophet was there for Saul's kingship, who was there for Jesus' baptism, where his ministry was established? Well, it was John the Baptist. And it's very interesting how John the Baptist is described. In Luke seven twenty-eight. it says, Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. No one greater than John. A very important dignitary was there to represent God in establishing that Jesus is God's son and the rightful king over Israel. And then we see also that at Jesus' baptism, that the Holy Spirit anoints the Lord Jesus. Was Jesus anointed? Yes, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit who came down as a dove and rested upon him. And a declaration of affection was made. There's no kiss that we have recorded at his baptism, like Samuel gave Saul, but a, a wonderful declaration is made from heaven that this is God's son, and with him he is well pleased. And then, like Saul, we see that the Lord Jesus shows his kingship by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work of God. He's not just anointed with the Holy Spirit and that's it. No, instead we see that he is given power of the Holy Spirit to perform the works of God. And we saw that in that passage that we had read for us before from Luke chapter 4, where he reads from Isaiah the prophet and he sees himself as a fulfillment of that prophecy. What did we read in Luke chapter 4, verse 18? He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me. There's that word anointing. Anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Why has the Spirit anointed him? To preach good news to the poor. What else? He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The Lord Jesus has been given specific works as king over God's people. And that is for preaching of the good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom for prisoners, the kinds of things that you would expect a king to do, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed. And that is why he has the Spirit upon him. And what's another way that we see that the Lord Jesus is indeed royalty, that he is God's chosen king? Well, like Saul, Jesus was expected to follow God's instructions. It's very interesting what Galatians 4 tells us, that he was born under the law. 
Imagine that, God's son himself, born under the law. He was under the law like Saul was under the law as king over God's people. And thankfully, unlike Saul, Jesus followed God's instructions perfectly. He himself says in John 14, verse 31, I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He was obedient to God the Father. As king over Israel, he was under the law and he followed God's instructions to the letter. And so we see that the kingdom of God's people was not torn from Christ as it was torn from Saul because of his disobedience. Instead, Jesus was king and is king today. He still reigns. He reigns over God's people. He reigns over this earth. And so as we look at Saul here, we see that he is truly the king of Israel at this time. But we also can then see that he is just a shadow of the true king of Israel who still reigns and who we should be submitting to. We see when we compare him to Saul that he is the perfect king. And we'll see that again and again as we go through 1 Samuel together. We see that he is a perfect king. He is always just, but he's also merciful and compassionate and loving towards his people, showing kindness to them day after day. And we also see that we should not neglect submission to the king, the true king, because one day all his enemies will be put under his feet. And so if you've never trusted in the true king, the one who reigns still, not Saul, but Jesus, then you neglect him at your own peril. You neglect having a king who is merciful and kind and loving and just, and you also place yourself in a position where one day you will be put under his feet along with the rest of his enemies and punished eternally. So I encourage you, if you've never humbled yourself before the king of God's people, humble yourself today. Bend the knee to Christ now. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he died in your place as your king, taking the penalty that you deserve so that you can have eternal life under his wing, under his care and affection. So Saul's kingship is a shadow of Christ's kingship and helps us recognize Christ as king and that we should submit to him. And I hope everybody in the room has done so. But Saul also helps us then recognize that God's people, Christians, are royalty as well. How so? How can we recognize the signs of royalty that we see given to Saul as signs that are also given to us? Well, God also gives a ceremony for his people, an internal, internal anointing of his spirit. It's very interesting how God chooses Saul. It is up to God to choose the king of Israel. And then he chose his son to be his true king. And he also chooses us as part of his royal family. It's not a pastor or another Christian who chooses us to belong to the royal family of God. But instead it is God himself. Now, he may use someone important as a representative to tell us the gospel, just as he he used uh, Samuel so many years ago, and he used uh, John the Baptist to proclaim that Jesus is king, but it is God who chooses us. And then he anoints us with his Holy Spirit. 
He anoints us internally. He changes our heart by the power of his spirit and gives us kisses of love and affection. God loves his royal family. And that's what he does for us as his people. He extends us welcome into his royal family, anoints us with kisses and love in the Holy Spirit. And we read that in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21. It says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We saw that Saul was anointed with God's Holy Spirit. We saw the Lord Jesus was anointed with God's Holy Spirit. And so there were signs of royalty, but we also see that we are anointed with God's Holy Spirit, and we are royals as well. Are there other signs that we are royals? Well, just as Saul was given power to do God's work, so we are given the Holy Spirit to do God's work. He gives us his Holy Spirit, not just as anointing, as a ceremonial thing, but instead he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can do his work. The Spirit changes us into a different person. Did you notice the Spirit's effect on Saul? In verse 6 it said, The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. And then in verse 9, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He changes us into a different person. He changes our heart. And then we have the Spirit's power in us to work his fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is actually exercised in our lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And you see this happen. I even heard this week of someone that's been recently converted. And they were expressing to another person how surprised they were to see they were in a situation where in the past they would have gotten angry. But instead they had this sense of peace. And they saw that the Spirit was at work in their heart. The Spirit was upon them to do the work of the Spirit in their lives. And that's what we see. We see signs of royalty in us, not just with the fact that we've been anointed by the Spirit, but whether the Spirit has anointed us with power to do the work of royals in this world. And how else do we see the uh, signs of Saul's kingship to help us know that we are royals? Well, we also see that we're expected to follow God's instructions. Saul was expected to follow God's instructions. Jesus was expected to follow God's instructions. And did we too are supposed to be obedient? We read in Matthew 12, verse 50, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If you are part of Christ's royal family, then you are supposed to do the will of the Father in heaven. And this is a sign that we particularly need to heed. Why? Well, when we look at Saul, we see that he was certainly anointed with power from God's spirit. We see that he was anointed with power from God's spirit and changed into a different person. But Saul did not show good evidence of the Holy Spirit's regenerating power. Yes, he had power to do some of the works that God gave him to do. And we'll look at one in particular, not next week, the week after. But we see a failure to keep God's law again and again, which demonstrates that he was not changed into a different person in the way that Christians are, true royals are. He was not changed, his heart was not changed in a way that true 
Christians, true royals, have their hearts changed. No, we see by his failure to follow God's instructions that he was not true royalty. And what happened? Well, the kingdom was torn away from Saul. And we'll see that when we eventually get to 1 Samuel 15, how the kingdom was torn away from Saul. And it still happens today. I've seen it again and again. There are people who look like they have the Spirit's power to do good works. And they certainly enjoy something of the joys of being part of God's royal family. They enjoy the respect that's often shown to Christians. They enjoy friendship with other Christians. They enjoy the love of Christians as they share with them and are generous and kind and gracious and patient with them. And they even may have a sense of the peace that Christians enjoy, where they feel that they are not at war with God. But long term, their sin, it shows that they are not anointed with the Spirit's regenerating power. The Holy Spirit can give power to do particular works for a time, but regenerating power is very different. It is where you are born again, where you have a changed heart A heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is put in. And that heart always seeks to follow God's law. And this is a scary thing to see in people. Why? Well, we see it with Saul. The kingdom was torn from him for his disobedience of God's law. And we can see that again and again in people who, for a time, showed some influence of the Holy Spirit, maybe. But in time, even what they have of God's royal family is stripped away from them. And so such people, they stand with Saul, they stand with Judas as a warning to us all. So we must ask ourselves this morning, is it possible that we are Saul-like kings and not Christ-like kings? Are we ones who are obedient to the instructions that are given to us as the royal family? There's no greater question than you can, that you can ask than, Am I truly saved? Am I truly an anointed one with the Spirit's regenerating power and so that I truly am God's royalty? Is there any possibility my life is a sham, that I'm a fake royal and not part of God's true royal family? Now, how do you know that you may not be part of God's royal family after all? Well, it starts with little desires to abdicate your responsibility as royalty. Little desires to abdicate our responsibility as royalty. Sometimes we, as royalty, we want to have an occasional fling with the commoners and live as they do. Where they're still under the laws of the land, that's fine, but they're certainly not under the royal laws as how royals are to behave. Yesterday I watched with my family uh, the old movie Roman Holiday with Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. My kids at first were a bit... It's black and white, Dad. Is this actually going to be interesting? But before they knew it, they were hooked. And what's that movie all about? It's about this princess who's really weary of all the royal duties. And she lives one day as a commoner. She sneaks out of the palace and lives a day as a commoner. And it's a fun movie to watch. But you see that she returns to the palace. Sorry, I've just spoiled it if you've never watched it. But if you haven't watched it by now... Um, yes, well, it's, what, 70 years old. Um, it's surprising that you have it. But if you, if, uh, she returns to the palace and resumes her royal duties. 
And so we can learn from that example of how some royals, they want to abdicate their responsibilities and have that fling with the foreigners, uh, the commoners. And that's what we like to do as well. We have this desire to come up, that comes up in our hearts, to go and live like a commoner. And we don't just have the desire, then we act upon that desire. And we go and we live with the commoners and we behave as they do. And we don't have repentance about such flings, such such abdications of our responsibilities. And it becomes more and more common for us to live like a commoner, to not live as part of God's royal family, subjected to his laws of love your neighbour as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and strength. And eventually God says, enough. You want to live like a commoner? Well, you can stay a commoner. And he withdraws all the blessings of being part of the royal family. And you have proved that you were just temporarily anointed with God's Holy Spirit, not permanently. You may have demonstrated something of the Spirit's power, but not his regenerating power. But you may be saying this morning, it's so hard, though, to keep the Lord's instructions to keep his laws. It's far easier to live like a commoner. They have a lower standard. It's so hard. How can we keep his instructions? Well, the answer is yes, we can keep his instructions because the Holy Spirit gives us power to do so. If we truly come to God in repentance and faith, he does give us his Holy Spirit to do what he says. And so we have to Look to him for strength, to live as part of his royal family. So if you look over your life of the last week, the last month, and you see you haven't been living according to his law for his royal family, and you haven't repented of the ways that you have broken his holy law, then I encourage you repent now. Repent before even what you share in the kingdom may be stripped away. Come to him quickly in case there is any possibility that you are actually not part of his royal family. And those signs of common behavior are actually signs to point you back to him and to come to him for the first time in repentance and faith and have that eternal life and that eternal status as part of his royal family that he gives to those who trust in him. Oh, the mercy of God to take people like us and elevate us to royalty as he did for Saul. Saul's a nobody. You see that in chapter 9. It's like, who's this guy chasing donkeys? He's a nobody. and He's elevated suddenly to king. You can see he's almost a bit bewildered in the account as to what's going on. And that's our experience as well. We're nobodies. And then what does God do? He lifts us up and puts us in his royal family, anoints us with his spirit, gives us power to live according to his ways and the eternal life and the glories that are to come. But let us then make sure that God has indeed elevated us to royal status by keeping his law and repenting quickly when we fail. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word teaches us that Jesus is King. We thank you for welcoming us into your royal family through his work at the cross. But Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not living under your law as we should and not repenting of our sins as quickly as we should. 
Lord, we pray that if there is anyone in this room who is not part of your royal family, that today would be the day. Would they look at the signs of royalty now and see that they have failed and come and submit the knee to King Jesus and be welcomed into his family. But Lord, we also pray that you would give strength to all of us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live according to your instructions. May we behave like royals and not commoners. And may more and more people of this world see the way that we live and want to be royals too and come in repentance and faith to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.